Good morning. Welcome, welcome to Pentecost Sunday. In fact, turn to your neighbor and say good morning to them if you haven't already, and say, Happy Pentecost. I bet that's the first time you've ever said that before, right? You know, as a church, we've been building up to this week. Since Easter, Easter was seven weeks ago, we've looked at the elements of the Christian faith and the, Christ, the elements that we experience together and that we experience apart. Hence the theme, life together and life apart. And God works in both ways, doesn't he? When we're all together corporately, and when we're alone before him. The last three weeks we've looked at prayer, we've looked at worship, and last week, if you were here, Stephen gave us a challenge, right, to the practice of confession. And we've been building and building and building toward this day. So, I gotta tell you, I come with a lot of excitement for today, but also a little bit of fear and trepidation, right, about what the Lord is going to do. We want to open ourselves up to what the Lord would have us do this morning, whatever it is. You know, I want to do Pentecost Sunday uh, justice, I guess you would say, because I think as we see and we look in the scriptures, we're going to see how special a day it was and how meaningful it was. Pentecost comes from the Greek word Pentecoste, which means 50th. Okay, Pentecoste, it's a Greek word, means 50th. So we celebrate today 50 days after Easter, seven weeks after Jesus' death and resurrection. And you say, wait, seven weeks, that's 49 days, right? But if you count Easter Sunday, 50 days. 50 days. Pentecost commemorates two significant things the gift of the Holy Spirit to the believers in Jerusalem, and the birth of the church. The Holy Spirit and the church. Now there's, I think there's two things that don't seem to mean much to our society anymore. Let's be honest, if you ask the average person on the street or someone at your workplace what they thought about these two things, you know, they'd probably give you a blank stare. Right? Or maybe they have formed an opinion about the church and about Christianity or about organized religion. And chances are it wouldn't be positive. See, this is a mindset in our culture that we want to change. Right? We want God to reveal Himself through us. We want our world to understand the work of the Holy Spirit. And we want them, those in our lives, those around us, those who don't know the Lord, to understand God's purpose for the church and the blessing it should be to our society. Maybe then, right, maybe then they will see, maybe then they will care. As we turn our attention to God's word this morning, may the Holy Spirit teach us and transform us and shape us this morning. So my prayer for you is that your heart would be open. I know we come to church, and I've thought about this, and we think about all the elements of the worship service, 
the worship team practices, we have a chairperson who does a great job, we have people praying in service, we have a message, but this is not a presentation. This is a service, this is a time to be before the Lord together. It's not as important what I say, as important as what the Lord says to you this morning. Right, so let's, let's uh, bow our heads in a word of prayer. Father God, we thank you for today. We thank you for this appointed time to come and to gather with one another. It is good to see each other, Lord, after another long week. Lord, we pray that you would move among us. Lord, that we would not be distracted by the person next to us or the things we have to do or the things that that weigh on us, Lord, but we would have our hearts set on you. Lord, speak to us this morning. We ask, Lord, that you would fill, you would fill this atmosphere, this, this room with your presence. And we pray, Lord, that you would be pleased with the meditation of our hearts and minds this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts, Acts chapter 2. And throughout the message, we're going to look at several passages here in Acts. Just a couple of passages, actually. And we're going to start with Acts 2, verses 1 through 12. And it should be on the screen as well. Let me read God's word. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what, they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? This is awesome. (laughs) Acts 2 is a turning point in the New Testament. It's a moment when everything changes because of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It's kind of like, um, like a story or a movie, right, where the, the flawed hero, he has this aha moment, this enlightening, right, and he begins to turn things around, and the story changes. But you see, originally, the disciples here, they thought Jesus was going to bring a political kingdom. So after his death, they were devastated. They didn't know what to do. 
But after the resurrection, Jesus revealed himself to them. He showed them that he was alive, and he reassured them that his mission would continue. Jesus says to them in Acts 1.8, in the chapter before, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Then in Acts 2, as we read, we see the Spirit come in the form of a violent wind, right? the kind of wind that you can hear and that shakes the building, that fills the house, and anoints these men, these previously discouraged disciples. Filled with the Spirit, they begin to praise God in different tongues. And different tongues are just different languages. Now I want to come back to this, to this thing about languages. But first let's talk about power. Beloved, our power as Christians comes not from ourselves, but from the Holy Spirit. It's not how much you, you work out, right? Although I could stand to lift a few weights. It's not how loud or how convincing you are. It's not even how much scripture you know. Our power comes from the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. 1 Corinthians says that we are temples of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 6, we are temples of the Holy Spirit who resides in us and is a gift from God. Now, just to be clear, the Holy Spirit has been living and active since the beginning of eternity as part of the Godhead, as part of the Trinity. But some people think, may think that this is the first time that the Holy Spirit has appeared. That's not true. The Spirit's work is described as early in creation in Genesis 1-2. He's also shown to be active in the Old Testament and throughout Jesus' ministry in the Gospels. But it is here at Pentecost that the Spirit is poured out on believers to empower them and to renew their strength. Let me ask you as followers of Jesus, do you feel empowered? Do you feel a sense, like the worship song says, of God's active presence in your life? Do you have a vision for the future and what God intends and what God is going to do? See, honestly, I think sometimes we feel just the opposite. We look to the Lord, but we feel weak and powerless in our day-to-day lives. We're disheartened by the news of the tragedies and the shootings in our country, the war overseas, the ongoing pandemic, the economic struggles, the sin and immorality we see in our society, And it overwhelms us. Right? I feel that. In Acts 2.17, Peter quotes the prophet Joel. And I think John said this in his call to worship. He says, In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. 
Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. I was reading a pastor's blog the other day, and with all that's happened the past weeks, months, and years, with those, with those things in mind, the writer says, when the prophecies of our children are despairing, the visions of our young men deranged, and the dreams of our elders shattered, what comfort does the celebration of Pentecost bring to the church and to the surrounding world? And I think that's a fair question for us today. Not to bypass our feelings and to just get to the celebration. Where do we find our comfort and our strength? Where do you find your hope for tomorrow? And what message of hope do we impart to others? Or are we as gloomy and as cynical and downcast as the unbeliever? Beloved, our hope and our strength and our power is to be in God, in His Son, and in the power of His Holy Spirit. Knowing that comfort and hope and salvation are found in Him alone. My point is that Pentecost also came at a time of despair for God's people. What we read in Acts 2, right? early in Acts, followers were few, and the disciples weren't sure what to do. Maybe like us. And while there's an appropriate time for lament right, and for mourning, it wasn't on Pentecost. If that wasn't what took place on Pentecost, what we celebrate today was a turning point, a change, a defining moment, a watershed moment when things changed because of the power of the Holy Spirit. Charles Hodge writes, It is the special office of the Spirit to convince the world of sin, to reveal Christ, to regenerate the soul. Conviction, Revelation and regeneration are the work of the Holy Spirit. This is, this is where we find our power to change and our power to do God's will in our lives, as difficult as it is. And this is where the disciples, this is where they regain their footing. At Pentecost, they move from fear and apprehension to boldly proclaiming Jesus as Lord. The Holy Spirit's power is not for our own glory. It is never, right, never to prop up man. It is for the witness of Christ, the advancement of the gospel, and the growth and blessing of the believer. In verse 3, it says, tongues of fire came to rest on them. Now, it's hard to understand what that looks like, right? Tongues of fire. I mean, I think I've seen it in my wife when she's been angry at me. <laughs> but otherwise, I can't understand what the scripture is saying. 
Um, but the result was that they spontaneously spoke in different languages. Right? Hopefully that's clear. In verse 6, it says the crowd was bewildered because each one heard their own language being spoken. This was a supernatural work of God. The disciples were sim- simple. They were blue-collar people, right? Fishermen, tax collectors, and, and others. They were uneducated men who'd probably never taken a Rosetta Stone class in their life. Yet they were declaring the wonders of God in other languages, it says, as the Spirit enabled them. Now, this is not totally spontaneous, but I asked several of our church members if they would offer a prayer of praise and thanksgiving to God this morning, here in our service, in their native tongue. And so I would like to ask first of Su Chen, if you would please stand and pray for us in Mandarin. Chai 感谢你主啊，诸天都在诉说你的荣耀，穷苍在传扬你的手段。我们感谢你，我们赞美你，把一切的尊贵荣耀权柄都归给你，唯你是配，奉耶稣基督的名求。阿门。阿门。Amen. Thank you, Sue. You know we have a diverse church here, and and that is such a blessing. And I'm, not, I'm sorry, we're not covering all the languages that may be represented here. But in Acts 2, right back to the scripture, in Acts 2, 9 through 11, it says 16 ethnicities. You know, I read these off, right? 16 ethnicities or people groups are mentioned. And they all heard the praises of God in their own language. From the beginning, God's kingdom, God's people, God's church, they were never meant to be bounded by borders, by culture, by ethnicity. And that doesn't mean that we all, we are all meant to speak one language. It means our God is so great that we were all meant to praise and worship him in our own native tongue and language, in our own context. And despite our differences, we could come all together and we can praise him as one body. Amen.
Isn't that remarkable? You know, I was at a, a funeral, a celebration of life, uh, last week at Rose Hills. And the service was in Cantonese and in English. But when we sang for this dear Christian woman and when we sang a familiar hymn and a familiar song, there was singing in Cantonese, in English, and in other languages altogether. And it made me think of Revelation 7, of what worship will be like one day in heaven where people of every tongue, every tribe, and every nation will bow before the Lord and worship the Lamb of God. You know, in a world of seven billion people, hundreds of nations, thousands of cultures and customs, the differences between us are so great, our world can't reconcile these things. We can't do it. There's too much pride. There's too much hatred. There's too much sin. There's too much self-interest. But God, who created each one of us, through the power of his Spirit, he bridges that gap. And we see it here in the Scripture. This small group of Galilean men declaring the wonders of God, as it says in verse 11, in a way that all could understand. Christ's church is global. It's multinational. It's multicultural. It's multilingual. And though Jesus came to call the lost lambs of Israel back to God first, he sent the apostles out by the power of the Holy Spirit to reach the rest of the world. Later in Acts 10, verses 34 and 35, the Apostle Peter says, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. Now I'd like to ask uh, Jose Cortez if he would stand and offer a prayer of praise and thanksgiving. Padre nuestro Señor, que estás en los cielos, santificado sea tu nombre. Venimos ante ti con corazones gozosos y humildes, porque nos has perdonado y salvado de condenación por tu infinito amor. Cuán glorioso es tu nombre en toda la tierra. Tus maravillas están en todo nuestro alrededor. Te alabamos, Señor, porque eres grande. Te alabamos, Señor, porque eres todopoderoso. Te alabamos, Señor, porque eres amor. Te alabamos, Señor, porque eres lleno de gracia y misericordia. Te alabamos, Señor, porque has perdonado nuestros pecados. Agradecidos estamos, Señor, porque nos has protegido y mantenido con salud a través de esta pandemia. Gracias, Señor, por nuestras vidas. Gracias, Señor, por nuestras familias. Y gracias, Señor, por toda bendición que sigues derramando en nuestras vidas. Gracias, Señor, por esta que es tu iglesia que has puesto en esta ciudad. Gracias, Señor, por los pastores y líderes que has levantado en esta iglesia. Gracias, Señor, porque sin ti, Señor, 
esta obra sería en vano. Prepáranos, Señor, para seguir sirviéndote en esta comunidad, para alcanzar almas para tu reino y quita todo obstáculo delante. Te damos toda honra y gloria a ti solamente. En el nombre de Jesús. Amén. Amén. Thank you, Jose. It is awesome. It's awesome to hear the praises to God in other languages. And while I don't know exactly what's being said, and I know some of you do, I can feel it. Right? Can you feel the praise to God? I think it's God's truth resonating in our hearts right? and joining us together despite whatever differences or, or, or language barriers we have. In verse 12, it says, Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, What does this mean? And well, I'll tell you what it means. It means God is ready to rock and roll. That's an American term, by the way. <laughs> and this creative act of God, the anointing of the Spirit, the tongues of fire, and the different languages was the beginning of the church. In his divine wisdom, God imparted the Holy Spirit to strengthen the disciples, to testify to Jesus, and to call people to repent and be baptized. And as they did these things, they began to live differently. Their hearts and their attitudes changed to God's mission to the world and to the lost. And this is what happens. This is what happens when the Holy Spirit gets a hold of a group of believers. Because of God's presence in our lives, we are to be constantly changing. Constantly. Do you know that the Holy Spirit is actively seeking to transform you right now and to renew you or to comfort you? You know, we're not going to read verses 42 through 47, but some of you know that it is about the church and what they do together. Right? In a nutshell, the believers devoted themselves to God, they devoted themselves to his mission, and they devoted themselves to one another. And by doing so, God made, a made them a blessing to the community. And he added to their number, it says in verse 47, he added to, the, to their number daily those who were being saved. In other words, the surrounding community was indelibly impacted because of the church's presence. Can we say that about us? Can we say that about where we live? Now later in Acts, these same believers, they will go out, like Jesus says, and they will be his witnesses in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Finally, I would like to ask uh, Kimiko Ikeda if she would offer a prayer in Japanese to our God. Amen. 
けれどもあなたが一番最善の時にそれぞれの人生の中で私たちの心に触れてくださりあなたの救いを受け取ることができました神様感謝しますその救いだけではなく精霊という本当に素晴らしい賜物を私たちの心に与えてくださっていることをありがとうございます今聞いたようにメッセージの中で聞いたように世の中を見ると心が本当に騒ぐどこに光はあるのだろうかと問うことがたくさん起きていますけれどもそのあなたの光が私たちの心の中にあなたが宿してくださるこの精霊という賜物ありがとうございますどうか私たちの心の中であなたの精霊の火を燃やし続けてあなたに感謝を捧げあなたに生かされている歩みを日々過ごすことができますようにどうか助けてくださいあなたの救いをあなたが作ってくださった私たちそれぞれの人生をありがとうございますイエス様の皆によってお祈りいたしますアーメン Amen. Thank you, Kimiko. I, I love it. You know, it's not just thank you, God. It's not just praise you, Lord. Right? There is so much behind it. Right? For what God has done and for who God is. Because of the work of the Holy Spirit, Pentecost, like I said, was a turning point in history. The disciples' lives were changed and the church was birthed. And we, we here together, we are part of that history, which is still being written. Beloved, the Holy Spirit is actively at work in you. God is greater than all you see around you, and greater than all that might divide us. Quoting Charles Hodge again, he says, By the indwelling of the Spirit, Believers are united to Christ and to one another so that they form one body. This is the foundation of the communion of saints, making them one in faith, one in love, one in their inward life, and one in their hopes and final destiny. God's Spirit is at work in you. Let Him have His way in your life. When He prompts you, You come. When He prompts you, you speak. When He prompts you, you move. For this is the power of God in you. Amen. You know, in the early days of the church, The Lord's Supper took place in the course of a, a communal meal. And we saw that in Acts as they, as they broke bread together. And as we'll do later today in the courtyard together. All brought what food they could, and they all shared it together. Table fellowship. Table fellowship is the term for us to sit with one another, to be with one another, to share our lives together as brothers and sisters in Christ.
And table fellowship is important. It's important to God. Jesus broke bread with the poor, the sick, the needy, the outcast. And while the observance of communion here at the Lord's table, it's personal. It's also corporate in nature. We are to consider our relationship with one another. This is where the communion passage comes from in 1 Corinthians 11. He's talking about the body of believers together. The Lord's Supper was given to us to be observed as one. And we are meant to share and we are meant to eat with one another. If you don't have your uh, communion elements here in the sanctuary, would you just please raise your hand and uh, the ushers will come by. And let us come before the Lord now together, remembering his death on the cross for the forgiveness of sins. And the scripture commands The scripture commands us to examine ourselves, to not take communion lightly or in a rote fashion or in an unworthy manner. Let us repent and renew our relationship with him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we we hold uh, this cracker in our hands, Lord, we remember the sacrifice of your son. We remember how he was poured out as a drink offering, how he gave his body and his life for us and for the forgiveness of our sins. Lord, we pray that you would live in us and that your Holy Spirit would form us and shape us to be more like you. In Jesus' name. It says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let us eat the bread. In the same way, 
After the supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's drink the juice. The scripture goes on to say, for wherever, whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would renew us. You would renew us. You would refresh us. You would restore us, Lord. Restore us to fellowship with you. If we have walked away from you, Lord, that you would draw us back. If we have walked weakly with you, Lord, that you would strengthen us and, in, and, and move us and give us your power, Lord. And if we have been walking well with you, Lord, we pray that you would continue to minister to us and to speak to us that we may be, Lord, your witnesses. Thank you, Lord, for your sacrifice. We give you all glory and honor and praise in Jesus' name. Amen.